Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would come alive to us. It would speak to our hearts. You would reveal something that we didn't see before in your word. Many of us have been following you for a long time, Jesus. But I pray that today we would see this passage with new eyes. And for those who maybe be hearing it for the first time, God, I pray that you would awaken something in their heart, a fire in their heart. We want to be more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We are in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. You know, uh, I have never had a sense of style. And my wife uh, dresses me. She picks my outfits to this day. And I remember seeing a picture of myself in middle school. Uh, and when I saw a picture of myself in middle school, you know, everybody see those pictures of yourself when you're younger, you just cringe. It's like, what was it? I was going through a lot. Middle school is hard, okay? And I remember, I saw this picture of myself in middle school, and I remember this outfit. I remember actually getting these shoes, but, but I was wearing these yellow, bright yellow zip-off pants with an emerald green shiny soccer jersey from my soccer team. I had a reversible orange and blue puffy vest and these black suede dress shoes that I got from Ross or something like that. And I, I look at this picture and I go, what was I thinking? I've, I've never, you know, before I met uh, Christina, I had a mullet right before I met Chris, right before I met Chris. It was like a Joe Dirt mullet, like one of those like, those really like nasty rat tail ones that kind of was like, it was short on the sides, but it just kind of went straight down like Joe Dirt. And uh, it was a Joe Dirt mullet. And I, I shaved, I cut my hair right before I met Christina. And I think it was just God's grace because... <laughs> She tells me that if I had that mullet when I met her, that we probably wouldn't be together to this day. It was God's grace, I think. You know, just the other day, I was leaving for the office, and I go to give my wife a hug and a kiss, and she looks at me, and she goes, are you wearing that today? Any, any guys, your wife ever tell you that before? And they look at you, and you go, are you wearing that today? Are you leaving, are you leaving the house wearing that? And I was like, I guess I'm not. I'm going to go change. She goes, no, 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 you look comfortable. You look comfortable. Whenever somebody tells you, oh, you look comfortable, they're like, you look like a bum, all right? You know, every day we wake up, we have to decide what clothes to put on, right? In this next passage, Paul's instructions to believers is to every day put on our new self and take off our old self. That we are to put on our new self. And no, Paul's not actually talking about changing your clothes. He's actually talking about changing your mind. He's talking about a mindset, a, a mental shift that we have to have every day when we wake up. We're going to start from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. It says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk. There's that word again, walk, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. See, Paul is writing to Gentiles, and is he saying not to be a Gentile anymore, but to become a Jew? No, he's, he's not speaking about ethnicity. Rather, he's speaking about a lifestyle, a way of living. And we could easily replace the word Gentile with the word American and probably receive the same message from what Paul is saying, that we are no longer supposed to walk like the Americans do. He's not talking about what nation you live in. He's not talking about your ethnicity. He's talking about a culture, a way of living, a, a cultural way of living or a mindset that many Americans have adopted, have adopted. Well, how does the typical American live? 
Americans are proud. America, yeah. Fireworks and guns. Mm. We're, we're consumer-minded, right? Think of, think of Christmas time. Think of how many Americans have credit card debt and overspend because they want what they can't afford. They're, they're consumer-minded. Consumer Americans are independent. They want isolation at times. They want privacy. They want to be left alone. They want to do things on their own. Americans are independent. Americans are sexually driven and sexually permissive. If you don't know this already, look at any of our advertisements that we see today on TV or YouTube. Our advertisement is, is sexually driven. Americans are often selfish, willing to do whatever it takes to get to the top, even if you have to run over people. And what Paul is saying is don't live like the average American. Don't live like the average Gentile. Don't walk like they walk. Paul's primary concern here, this is interesting, his primary concern is not a list of specific sins. There's other passages like in Romans where he, he lists specific sins, but his concern here is not with specific sins, but with a distortion and disorientation of the mind. He's concerned about the way you think, about how you think of things. Sin, a good definition of sin is, sin is a malfunction of the mind. Sin is a malfunction of the mind. And we have numerous texts in Scripture that speak about our minds and how we're supposed to gain control over our minds, how we're supposed to subject them to the Lord. Romans 1, 24 through 25 and verse 28 says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That happens in your mind. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In Romans 12, 2, this is a famous verse. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul is urging us to have renewed mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 2, it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that self itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is, anything, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think of these things. See, the battle against your flesh is won in your mind. It is the lifelong practice of identifying truth and lies. And as Christians, we are called to step into this practice of clearly identifying what is the truth and what are the lies that I've been leaving. What are the lies that society tells me? What are the, what are the thoughts that I have about myself that are false? The degrading, self-deprivating thoughts that I have about myself. See, we, we say the enemy is the enemy of our soul, but he's really the enemy of your mind. The enemy is the enemy of your mind. In fact, when, when the Bible talks about your soul, you know, the, the Hebrews saw the soul as the seat uh, of your, uh, your emotions, your will, your desires, your intellect. The enemy is the enemy of your mind. 
And in Ephesians 4.17, it says that uh, there's this word futility. It says, in the futility of their minds. And this word futility, it means pointless. It means depravity. It means perverseness or to be, a, to be devoid of truth. And so Paul is saying that the Gentiles, or, or insert Americans, right, were concerned about pointless and perverse things, and we're not supposed to think about those things. Don't think about things that are meaningless, that, serve no, that are not helpful, they serve no purpose. Now you might be thinking, hold on, Pastor, are, are people really that bad? Are people, apart from God, really that depraved? Is everything they do meaningless and perverse? And here's the thing. Paul is not devaluing humanity, which was created in the image of God. God created humanity in his image to be image bearers. But Paul is pointing out the priorities of the non-believer versus the believer. And does that mean someone who lives their life without knowing God lived a pointless existence? Somebody who doesn't know God, who goes their entire life, Without knowing God, they die. Did they live a pointless existence? The truth is that God can use any life for his glory. But we see in scripture that having a relationship with the Father is the purpose of our existence. You know, we throw around this, the, the great, the, the big question, what's the meaning of life? When you look in scripture, it's easy to identify when you read the very beginning of scripture that when God created humanity, he didn't create humanity because he needed something from them. He needed something for them to do. Or he, you know, there was something that only, you know, God didn't need anything when he created humanity. But he created humanity for relationship. He created humanity because he wanted relationship with people. He doesn't need anything. He wants us to be with him in relationship. And the purpose of our existence is to introduce others to that relationship. We often live our lives concerned about things that we will not take into eternity. Right? We live the the majority of of our days thinking about things that will never last. Thinking about finances. Thinking about uh, thinking about our, our, even our physical health at times. The, the Bible says that if you know Jesus, that when you die, you are going to have a new body. You, are, you might experience healing in this life. Praise God, we have authority over sickness and disease, and that is, might be God's plan. I believe it's God's plan for your life to experience healing, but you're going to be healed regardless. But we spend the majority of our life thinking about things that just don't matter. And Paul is saying, don't act like the average American always concerned with things that are not eternal. And then he goes on to say this in verse 18. He says, they are darkened and they're understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Did you know that sin creates a callous over your heart. Sin creates a hard heart. You know, when you learn how to play guitar, any guitar players in the room, come on, raise your hands, I'm about to recruit you for worship team. (laughs) All right. Some of you are still hiding. You're not raising your hand. When you learn how to play guitar, it's difficult at first. Anybody tried to play guitar before? You know, you pick up a guitar, you put your fingers on on the strings, and you go, ow, 
How do you hold your fingers like this for so long? It's difficult to play guitar at first because your fingers are so sensitive. They haven't developed a callus on them. But after a while, in fact, when I, when I used to teach people, I, I've taught a couple people how to play guitar just a little bit. And I would say, just press your fingers on the string. Allow it to hurt because you're going to build up a callus. And eventually, you're not going to feel anything. You'll put your fingers on the string and the pain will go away. You see, the longer you sin, the less you can see it. The longer you sin, the more callous you become, the less you can identify that what you're doing is actually sin. And then pretty soon society starts validating your actions, starts validating your behaviors. And, some, and when you get into a cycle of sin, you, you, begin, to, you begin to lose that sensitivity that you once, that, that you once had. When you first started something, maybe you, you felt the Holy Spirit go, no, this is wrong. And you felt inside of you something say, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing it. But the longer you stayed in that habit, the longer it became, well, this isn't that big of a deal. There's so many people I know doing it. Is it really that big of a deal? So you, your heart becomes hardened. It becomes callous. And it takes a move of God's spirit to soften a heart and remove the callousness. Only a move of God can make a hard heart soft again. And that is our prayer, is that, God, would you never allow my heart to become hard, but would you continue to soften it? Would you make me moldable at all times? Verse 20 says this. And this is an interesting phrase. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Why didn't he say that is not the way you learned about Christ? Because he goes on to say, assuming that you have heard about him or were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. He's saying that that is not the way that you learn Christ. Jesus is the truth. The truth is in Jesus. So he's saying that is not the way you learn the truth. That is not the way you learn truth. But then he says this, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Paul's concerned with your mind. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holy. See, the real you is the one who has been created in the image and likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That is the real you. That is what God had always planned from the beginning. For you to walk and righteousness and holiness. Now the other you, the one who is struggling with addiction or caught in a cycle of sin or concerned with material things, this is a distortion of the real you. But what shame does is as I continue to live that way, what shame begins to do is it begins to help us identify as the old us. Oh, this is I'm just a terrible person. I can't get out of this. I'm just, I'm no good. God, I'm not worthy. And we start seeing ourselves as this. But Paul is saying, hold on. In order for you to walk and and what God is calling you to walk, you need to start thinking differently about yourself. You need to start thinking about who you really are and, and subject your mind to the Lord. The more we conform to society, the less we understand our conversion into Christ. The If the problem is distorted thinking and distorted reasoning, then we need a wholesale restructuring of our minds. Right? 
your mind has been conditioned to think about things as a result of your past experiences, right? We, we all have uh, environments that we've grown up with. We've all had experiences. We've all touched the hot stove, and we know that's bad, right? Don't do that. Our minds have been conditioned to think about things as a result of our past experiences, and it takes time to condition your mind to think from heaven's perspective. You have a life of conditioning that now you have the privilege to walk with the Holy Spirit in sanctifying your mind and allowing Jesus to sanctify your mind and to rethink, to relearn, and to see things from heaven's perspective. A depraved mind cannot repair itself. It requires the Holy Spirit, and it takes time. It is a lifelong process. You're not going to wake up one morning and never doubt again, and never uh, you'll, and, and always be full of faith all the time. I praise, you pray. I, I hope. I wish that was the case. It hasn't happened to anybody I've ever known because discipleship is a lifelong process. Spiritual transformation is a lifelong process. And we all need to subject ourselves under what we're calling this morning the the school of Christ. We need to enroll in the school of Christ and learn how to think like Jesus thinks. Our primary ethicists today are popular singers and actors and talk show hosts. And they have led us to ruin when we look around society today. Christians have something better to say. They have something better to talk about. And the mind is the control panel, and it must continually be made conscious of God and not of just itself. So without giving attention to the interior life, to the mind, our minds cannot be restructured. We have to think about the way that we think. You have to think about the way that you think. And so this morning, I just want to give you a few ways to get started in gaining an understanding of heaven's priorities. Four really basic things. Number one, honestly assess society and its values. We need to, in order to think like Jesus, we need to take a step back and we need to give an honest evaluation of our society that we live in and its values. And too often we assume the agenda set by society is reality. And Christians adopt the same agenda. And it can appear to be a good agenda at times because recognition and pleasure and possessions, they're highly rewarded in our society. They're highly celebrated. But when we're honest about our society, it's out of control. Our society is out of control. People don't know what they're doing. They are lost. They are looking for answers. And they are clinging to whatever they can find for some comfort. For some temporary relief. But they're looking for answers. Probably the most telling depiction of society is with, within our entertainment media. It mostly offers sensuality or inappropriate humor. And it's time-consuming weirdness. Right? That's what most of it is. It's designed. Soci- our, our entertainment media today in America is designed to get you to buy things... Shape your thoughts about people or behaviors or completely waste your time staring at a screen. It is designed to do exactly that. Now, is there anything beneficial that can come out of the media? Have you watched The Chosen? Absolutely there is. 
that, that God can use media, that, that when, when, when it is subjected under the authority of Christ, man, God uses it. And, and I believe it's because of media, it's because of social media that the gospel can be spread across the world faster than ever before. It has its benefits. But the majority of it is time-consuming, debased weirdness. And Paul is warning us about living the way that the rest of the world lives. He's warning us about living the, the way that the rest of America lives. We have to understand, first and foremost, that there are things, and you know this, there are things that are inappropriate that a Christian should not be watching, that a Christian should not be partaking in. There are things that are beneficial, that build yourself up, that build up the church, that edify yourself. And then there are things that are neutral. They're not necessarily bad, but they're not helpful at all, right? And so when you're watching something or when you're, when you're partaking in something at home, think to yourself, is this building me up? Is it beneficial to my spirit? Is it inappropriate? Is it something that celebrates or permits sinful behavior? If so, it's inappropriate. It's something that the church has no business being involved in. Or is this something that's, that's just not helpful in any way? It's just wasting my time. And, and if it's in the neutral zone, then it's just a waste of time. Why, why not spend your time looking for things that build you up and edify you? The second thing that we can do after we t- honestly assess society and its values, we need to take personal inventory. Look inside. I know. I heard somebody just say, oh, man, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Come on. We need to take personal inventory. I love what the psalmist says in 139. It's such a real, I mean, this is just a real prayer. It says, Psalm 139, 23 through 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David prayed this prayer because he knew that there are things that slip past our conscience. There's things that slip past us that we we aren't even fully aware of the things in our life that don't belong. And, and, And we can never say that we're done growing and maturing. Right? If you're in this place and you think about your, if you're taking a personal, personal inventory and you're thinking, yeah, I'm great. I'm done. I'm there. I'm the perfect Christian. I, there, I can't think of anything that I haven't, anybody I haven't forgiven, which is good. You should, you should be there. Right? But if you, look at, if you take personal inventory and you're saying, oh, I'm good, I'm done. Listen, you are living a lie. You're believing a lie. Because there's always something that needs to be surrendered to Jesus. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to go, whoa, I was way off the mark. But Jesus, your grace is so good. I'm here anyway. Right? Jesus, your grace is so good that there were things about my life I didn't see. And your grace covered that. But it is up to us in this life to pray this prayer and say, God, search my heart. Know me because I want to be intimate with you, Father. I don't want there to be anything that is grieving your spirit I don't want there to be anything that is keeping me from you. I don't want any shame to creep in. I don't want the enemy to have a hold on me in any way. So search me, God. Know my heart. And that is a dangerous prayer to pray. Because I promise you that if you pray the prayer, he's going to show you. And so you better be ready to make some adjustments in your life. If you pray that prayer. Every time I've prayed it, God shows me something. I go, oh, really? That? 
You want me to get rid of that? Oh. We need to take an honest inventory of our desires. Look at somebody next to you and say, desires. Not like that, though. Don't whisper it. <laughs> desires. <laughs> no, but we, we really do. We need to take an honest inventory of our desires. And the way that you can do this is look at your bank statement in your calendar. Look at your time and your treasure to determine what you prioritize in your life. Your calendar will quickly tell you what you prioritize in life. Your bank statement will quickly tell you what you prioritize in your life. And ask yourself, are these things that are eternal things? Are they beneficial for the church? Do they build people up? Are they, are they uh, things that God is using in my life? Or are they futile and meaningless things? Now, you might be thinking, but pastor, what about my hobbies? I got hobbies too. In fact, I'm deep into hobbies right now. I, am, I started golfing a lot more than I've used. You know, Brad, you got me into fishing. Now I'm fishing now. I got into comic book collecting. This is one that I'm a little ashamed to admit because I feel like a geek when I, when I say it a lot. I've got hobbies. And here's a quote that I would leave for you. Those of you who have hobbies who have things that you love to do. You know, I don't consider every hobby a waste of time. Maybe some of them are a waste of time. Maybe my comic book collecting is a waste of time, but we'll, we'll, we'll pray about this later. You know, I'm going to pray this prayer later today. <laughs> Here's a quote that I want to leave you with. It says, Desires are not bad in themselves. They are God-given assistance for living, but they need a Lord. Give them one. Your desires... God placed desires in your heart, right? Like if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, I have desires that God put in my heart, but if they are not subjected to the Lord, they will lead my life. They will run me ragged. I have things that I want to accomplish, things that I want to do. I have things I want to experience. I have desires. But if I allow those desires to lead my life, they will lead me away from God. And instead, we're called to bring all of our desires to the feet of Jesus and say, I feel like these are things that you may or may not have put here. Show me which ones you have put here. Show me which ones I should lean into and follow. Our desires need a Lord. They need to be led by Jesus. Because ultimately what the flesh is, it's disordered desires. Right? They need a Lord. The third thing is this. We need to go to school. Go to school. Oh, man, I just graduated. <clears throat> Our minds can only be renewed in the school of Christ. And I'm talking about allowing Jesus to disciple you. Ask yourself, am I sitting at the feet of Jesus every day and learning from his words? Are you subjecting your time, your talents, your treasures under his leadership? Are you learning and growing, or does your faith feel stagnant? I'm not saying that our journey with Christ is always going to feel vibrant and full of growth. I'm just saying that in those seasons of struggle, we can either enroll in the school of our society or become students of our own deceptive thoughts and desires, 
Or we could come to the feet of Jesus and learn from him. Learn from the one who knows all, whose wisdom he freely gives. He says, if any, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask for it. If any of you need understanding, ask for it. Jesus says, come and be discipled by me. Let me show you the way to live. Enroll in the school of Jesus by showing up every day at his feet and saying, Jesus, I want to learn from you. I want to grow from you. I don't want to be led by my desires. Maybe Jesus has you in one of those seasons of maybe you feel like your faith is stagnant right now. Maybe you feel like you're having a hard time hearing the voice of the Lord. Maybe he has you in one of these seasons because you are to learn in this season how to dig your own well. What do I mean by that? Maybe, maybe you've been drawing water from other people's wells for years. You've relied on your pastor. You've relied on your best friends or your parents or, or this other person in your life who has a strong faith. And you've relied on their well for so long. You've been coming to their well to draw water. But the Holy Spirit maybe wants to show you in this season that you have a well of living water that is bubbling from within you. And he is all you need. All you need to do is go into the room and close the door and say, Jesus, I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. And you will see that there is a well of living water that is right here. The Holy Spirit is right here just waiting to give you what you need. Maybe it's time for some of us to learn to dig our own wells and not rely on everybody else's faith or whatever everybody else is saying but to go into our quiet place and allow the Lord to speak to us personally. I'm going to invite Mary to come up as, we sh- as I share this last one. And then we're going to eat together in the cafe. The last thing is this. Live your baptism. Live your baptism. The imagery of putting off your old self and putting on your new self is exactly what water baptism represents. Now, water baptism is a one-time event that we frequently reflect upon. But what Paul is saying here is he's saying there's an old nature that when you said yes to Christ, you shed that old nature. That's no longer who you are. Somebody once said that your old self drowns in in the waters of baptism, but that sucker knows how to swim because it wants to come back. Right? That old nature that you drowned in the waters of baptism. That old nature wants to come back and it's fighting for authority. And what Paul is saying is don't give him that authority. Don't give that that old self any place. That's not who you are. Every morning when you wake up, take off that old self. Put on the new self. That's not who you are. I'd encourage you, if you're in this place, you've never been baptized before to fill out a connect card and check the box on the back that says I'm interested in learning more about water baptism because water baptism has been given to the church as a, it's we call them a, we call them sacraments but they're they're outward signs of inward works they're physical representations of spiritual truths and realities and we have them in physical form so that we can constantly reflect upon them Water baptism, we we go under the water. Our old self dies with Christ. We take off that old self. And as we are resurrected with Christ, we put on the new self. 
and we have this physical act to look back on and say, Jesus, I have, a, I have a physical representation of what you did for me. That's why we wear wedding rings, right? They're physical reminders of a promise that we made to our spouse. When we take communion, it's a physical element that we look at and we have to reflect upon to remember the blood and the body of Christ and the sacrifice he made for us. These sacraments that have been given to us are powerful. Powerful reminders of what Jesus has done in our life. And Paul is saying here that we are to live out our baptism. That we, it, that yes, we were baptized once, it's over now, but he says, listen, it, it is something that you revisit all the time. You come back to this moment. And you remember what Christ did in you, that he killed the old you. It's dead. It's buried. It's gone. It's not who you are. And when we remember that, it brings a grace and a peace to our life, knowing when we fall, that's not who I am. Jesus, I messed up. That old person came back for a moment, but it's going back in the grave. It's going back in the water. It's done away with. Jesus, you got rid of that old self. I'm a new creation. That's not who I am. So as we learn to walk, as we learn to renew our minds and, re- and, and, and think about the way that we think, but, but think from heaven's perspective, I believe Paul would say to us, not only honestly assess society, its values, not, not just take a personal inventory, say, search me, God. Not continually come to, not just come to Jesus' feet, but, but to live our baptism as well. Would you stand with me, church, as we close? I believe the word for some of you today is clean slate. God wants to give some of you a clean slate. There's a restart button in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus wants to press that for some of your lives. You've been running for him, from him for so long. You're, you're tired. Maybe you've been following your own desires and it's led you wanting more. It's left you uh, discontent. And Jesus says, I'm everything that you need. So why don't we hit the restart button? Why don't we, why don't we have a clean slate? Why don't we start fresh right now? Would you close your eyes and pray with me? Holy Spirit, I pray that there is a grace on this room for confession and repentance. Jesus, that there would be an opportunity to hit the restart button this morning. I feel like there's people in this room who have run so far and they're feeling like they've been stuck in the same cycle. They keep coming back to the same place. How am I ever going to get out of this? Jesus says, it's okay. It's okay. Don't freak out. I died for this. I died so that we could, we could do this together. I died that we could, we could start over again. And that's okay. Just come to me. So Jesus, we come to you with all of our hurts, with all of our struggles, with all of our fears. God, we come to you, we come to you even with all of our joys and our successes, our triumphs. Because we just want to learn from you. We want to grow from you. We want to be discipled by you. Jesus, I pray that there would be an atmosphere in this place, a grace for fresh starts. 
Jesus' name. If that's you and you feel like today is a day where you need a fresh start, would you just raise your hand so I can see your hands? Yeah, hands up all over the room. Praise God. Praise Jesus. Those of you who had your hands up, actually, everybody do this. Just put your hand on your heart. Put your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit, repeat this after me. Holy Spirit, break away the callousness. Tenderize my heart. Make it soft once again so I could hear your voice more clearly than before. Help me to walk in humility. Help me to ask for help when I need it. To ask for prayer when I need it. I depend on you, Holy Spirit. I'm fully reliant on you, Jesus. And I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite the ministry teams to come forward. If we could get uh, our ministry teams just to come stand up here. We're going to dismiss in just a moment. We're going to have some food. But if you need prayer, if, if you feel like you need to pray with someone for that fresh start, or you have something you want to uh, talk about, or just to be encouraged, maybe you've been feeling uh, wear down and you need somebody to come and, and partner with you, speak life into you, come pray with one of these people on stage. And uh, Mary's going to stay up here and play for a little bit. But God bless you. Jesus, we pray over the food, that you bless the food. And uh, Lord, we pray that you bless uh, Cheryl Brewer for making all this food in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church. We'll see you in there as we have some lunch. Please come forward for prayer if you need it.